This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. This is Abigail Rechnitz, the sister. Um, I knew very well Abigail and what she did in California. She was actually the one who sponsored and was behind the Vino Volcano event that we did in um, that we did in LA. She was extremely learned. She's a lawyer, right? She's also a lawyer. And her whole life, she really gave over to, um, to the Zika Cholin. And um, I, after every time I gave a shear out here, I'd get a call from her, and she would review it, question it. Um, very brilliant woman, very, very special person. And uh, uh, you know, they say they don't, get, they don't get apples from Orange Tree. So I'm sure that you will do for Queens what she did for, um, for L.A. I apologize for the lateness, um, Shabbos and driving and the weather and everything else. I'm sorry for making you wait because what I'm talking about tonight is the, um, the value of time. <laughs> a little bit, uh, okay, hypocritical. But anyway, um, I tried, put it that way. So I, I want to talk about a couple of different subjects. It's all going to end up being about, you know, the value of time. We, we're still in Adar, not much left, Tuesday is Rosh and um, there's a very big lesson that I've been speaking about. Yes. Actually, I was in L.A. last week. Everything's timing, you know? Everything is timing. I was in L.A. last um, Shabbos. I was there for a Eula, um, the girls' school, for their Shabbaton. I heard today they had two earthquakes in, uh, in L.A. Um, so last week I would have taken credit for my speech shaking up the earth, but <laughs> I can't really take credit for today. But everyone's Baruch Hashem. According to the news, everything is all right. Just shook them up a little bit. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, for a second, to go back to Miguel Esther. It's a very important lesson in Miguel Esther. Um, there's a medrash, and the medrash says that Esther's father passed away when her mother was pregnant, when her mother was in her third month of pregnancy, and Esther's mother passed away at childbirth. So Esther had no parents. And if you said Perikhov Bays in Tehillim, which is a special Indian for women to say, on Thomas Esther and on Purim, then you saw her in, in Chavbeh, she actually says, and from my mother's womb, God, you took me and took care of me, because her mother had passed away at that point. So, Mordechai adopted her at birth. She had no parents. And then we come to the place where she's asked by Mordechai to go into Achashverosh, and she says, don't you know that in the Persian kingdom, the rule is, if you go in without being asked, they're going to they're gonna kill me. So you, you asked me to put my life in danger, and um, I didn't bring a word of Chumash that doesn't happen to be less in it, but because I've been talking about it so much, I memorized it. And Mordechai said to Esther, his niece, who had no parents, right, who was an orphan from birth, he said, And the Balkaris said it very loud. They say it very loud when they read the Megillah. If you're going to waver and be silent at this moment, act You and your father's house will be lost. Who knows? We got the Lamachas case. Who knows if you came to become the queen for this moment? And he also said before that 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 if you don't stand up when you're supposed to, don't worry, Hashem, somebody else will stand up. So the question that Chazal asks is, if I were to ask uh, a girl in my school, in my seminary, to fly to Iran and go to Khomeini 
and beg him to save the Jews, right? And she would say, Rabbi, are you kidding me? You want me, a Jew, to go to Iran and talk to the Ayatollah? They're going to kill me. So I would tell her, listen, I'm not just sending you to Iran. We're going to dive in. We're going to fast. We're going to have all the women in America in Eretzestro say to Hillel, light candle five minutes early. Right? We're going to have a young Ian in all the schools on, on Sneers and on Lashon Hara. And all the, the men are going to be learning the whole time that you're flying and that you're going to be there. And we're going to have all the Gendalim going to give you brachas. Right? That's what I would tell her. And don't worry! Hashem will be with you. We'll learn Sharei Bitochon and Sharei Emuna. I definitely would not tell this girl, now you listen to me. If you don't go, you're a loser. Your parents are losers. Who needs you anyway? We'll get help from somewhere else. The whole reason that you're eating, I didn't my seminary was for this reason. And forget about it. I would never talk to someone like that. Even if I wanted to. So the question here is, Marcha, what are you doing? This is your niece. She's an orphan from birth. Be nice to her. Tell her. We're going to fast. What happens? She sends back a message to him. I'll go if you fast and you daven and you fast for three days, day and night, then I'll go. He should have said, we're going to fast for you. What's going on over here? So there's a very, very important lesson for all of us. And the lesson is as follows. The Medrash says that there was a big war in Shemayim. Haman's Malach, Amalek's Malach, Esau's Malach, came before Hashem and said, we want the Jews to be destroyed. Hashem said, what schuss do you have, Haman? And Haman said, I have the schuss of my great-grandfather Esau. Esau, for 21 years, did kibbutz of the aim when Yaakov was by Lavan, and Yaakov did no kibbutz of the aim for those 21 years. So these 21 years, you never paid us back. We're collecting 21 years of kibbutz of the aim. Good time. And Yaakov Avinu was not considered as kibbutz of the aim because the last seven years, he did it to work for money. So had he just gone back after the 14 years, he could have said, you told me to go to, to get married, I did what I was supposed to. But because he, this last seven years he worked, so we showed that it wasn't the only reason he went was just to get married. So therefore, the Medrash says that Esau's had a good time. And, and the Medrash says that Esau never served his father a drink, or his mother a drink, without wearing shadows clothing. That's how Machbed Esau was in Kirudavim. That's why his head was buried in the Mars of Machbelah. He was so mocked that any time his father asked him for a glass of water, he went, he took a shower, he, he cleaned himself up, put on a suit, and served his parents. That's how he, That was his kibbutz of the end. So Klyashol was in very big very big trouble. This was a very big time against Klyashol. So it says in the Medrash that the Malach Gabriel came in front of Hashem, and the Malach Gabriel said, time out. Esau was very big in kibbutz of the end, but he aggravated his mother and his father. We know he married Canaanim, and the smoke from the Avodah went into Yitzhak's eyes and made him blind. And he also wasn't very nice to Rivka. So yes, he was very great in Kibbutz Avayim, but he wasn't perfect. We, said the Malach Gabriel, have someone in this door of Haman, which is perfect. And her name is Esther. She never answered her parents back. She never told her parents, 
I'll be home at 11 and show up at 2. She never missed a phone call to her parents. Why? She never had any parents. But she never did anything wrong to her parents her whole life. A perfect period of end. Says the Medrash. But the Malach of Aesop got up and said, it's very nice. She didn't do anything wrong. But she didn't do anything right. She never did anything. My Aesop served his parents. So the Malach Gabriel said, that's very true. But by a Jew, if you, let's say a poor man comes to the door tonight, and we make a collection, and then we go out to give him the money and he's gone, right? How lucky is, even though you give everyone back their money because he's not here anymore, since your machshava was to give tzedakah, it wasn't your fault that you did it, machshava kemaisa. You're on your way to shul, there's an emergency, right? That's other guy, he's in shul, he came to David, and he has an emergency, he has to run out. So what about Musaf? What about Laney? He missed Laney, right? The answer is machshava kemaisa. He came for Laney. It was an emergency, he missed Laney. No, consider like he, like, like he heard Laney. So he showed that Esther Hamalka, as a girl, cried every single day to Hashem, how come I don't have parents? Not because of PTA or getting the car, but how come I don't have parents? Because I want to do the mitzvah of Kibbutz of Aim. So she cried every moment of her life that I don't have the mitzvah of Kibbutz of Aim. So it was considered like she did Kibbutz of Aim. So she was perfect every moment she did Kibbutz of Aim, and she never did anything wrong. Hashem said, she can take Haman down. She is greater than Esau. So what... What Mordechai wasn't threatening her and he wasn't trash talking her, he was telling her. He was telling her. If you're going to, to waver and you're going to be silent and you're not going to get up and you're not going to do anything, all the suffering that you had, that you lost your father's home, your family, you lost your mother and father, was for no reason. The whole reason you lost your parents was to make you the only power that could destroy Haman. But if you're going to sit there, and you're not going to do anything, you could have had parents. And you could, your parents could have had more kids. And you could have had a whole family. And you could have had a bas mitzvah. And you could have had a... Why did they have to die? So he said, you're not going to do with anything with it. After base then then everything is lost. And who knows? In Ke'ez he got the Lamachos. This moment is why you became a Malchus. When a person uses the, 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 the disabilities and the pain that they go through to help others, that's Malchus. That's what he told her. He wasn't trash-talking her. He was telling her, shamefully, you suffered so much. Why are you going to waste it if you don't do anything and your appearance could have been alive? Potential unrealized is the greatest tragedy. This week's Pasha. So, a girl asked me, because women, for some reason, in Judaism, think that the men, that it's a chauvinistic religion. That, you know, oh, I want to put on tefillin. No, you don't. You don't need to put on tefillin. It's the opposite. It is so the opposite. If you understood, first of all, how could it be a chauvinistic religion if you, the, the woman is the one that determines if the child's a Jew? So, before you even get started on the subject matter... Okay, if the whole the whole point is is, is moot. What are you talking about? If the man is more important than if the father is a Jew, the child should be a Jew. No, the father could be the God of God. If the woman's not Jewish, that child is not Jewish. We don't care who the father is. So when, when women tell me that, they're like, well, it's a chauvinistic religion. I'm like, the whole religion is based on women, number one. Number two, what's the bracha that you make every morning? 
Shrosani Kitsono, right? So girls in my seminary are like, how come I can't say Shlodasani Ish? I want to say Shlodasani Ish. You guys get up in the morning and say, thank you, Hashem, that I'm not a woman. I want to get up and say, thank you, Hashem, I'm not a man. So you don't know anything about the bracha then. The bracha Shrosani Kitsono is the biggest bracha in the world. A woman in the morning gets up and says, thank you, Hashem, I'm created according to your will. If Rabbi Wallstein tomorrow morning decides, I decided that I'm really doing a good job, and I'm Hashem's will. So tomorrow morning, instead of saying Shalei Sani Isha, I decide I want to say Shalei Kirtsono. So bracha levatola. I have to say, and I said in Hashem's name, Rabbi Chaim Kainevsky, tomorrow morning, says Shosani Kitsono, it's a bracha levatala. But every woman in this room can make that bracha, and it's not a bracha levatala. And why is a woman Kitsono more than a man? Because what's the rutsan of God? What's his will? His will is to create. His will is to create, to nurture, and to protect. A man creates nothing. He doesn't nurture anything. And he usually doesn't protect much. Right? So... We're, we're, made, we're, we're physically very different. We can't nurture. We're not created to nurture. And we're definitely not created to create. So a woman is more than what sign of Hashem than a man. This week's parsha, Isha Kisazria. This week's parsha says that if a woman gives birth to a, man, to a boy, to a male, she's tame seven days and then 33 days. But if she gives birth to a girl, she's tame 14 days and then 66 days. Oh, see? A guy, you're only tummy seven days. But a girl, you're tummy 14 days. That's because a girl's not as holy as a guy. Wrong. The opposite. Why the opposite? So Chazal answers, and Chazal says the following, why are you tummy altogether? You gave birth at such a great moment. You brought a child to the earth. Why should you be tummy? Just the opposite. You should be Kaddosh. So Chazal says that any place where there's great Kedusha, when that Kedusha leaves, what takes its place? Tumah. So when a person dies, and then a Shabbat leaves, right? So the body becomes Tumah. It doesn't matter. It could be Moshe Rabbein. It doesn't matter who it is, right? It could be the girl had When he dies, it becomes Tumah. Klein can't go into the room. Why does it become Tumah? Because the, the, the void, wasn't careful, of potential brings Tumah. So when a person dies, the potential of that person is over. That's the only reason. Why do, why do we why do we sit shiva? Why chafshon are we upset? What are you upset about? Everyone says, when they come to the shiva, hey, the person's in a better place. They're next to the kisar kovah. So what are you getting to? Why are you sitting on the floor? Why are you being upset about? Just the opposite. You should be making like the guy. I'm awake. You should make a big party. He's in heaven. He's next to God. He's in a better place. Right? Sort of leaving in the middle of the storm on jet blue. And you're saying bye to your parents. And they go to Miami. You're going to sit down on the floor and cry? Hashem, if you call your parents, what's going on? It's 84 degrees, I'm sitting by the pool. You're going to cry? So we believe the person sitting in Ghanada, what are you crying about? Why are you ripping your clothing? And the answer is because the potential of that person is over. That's tragic. The person's potential, I wish kids would know that. They understand their potential. A person who doesn't reach their potential that is tragedy. And that is what Mordechai was telling his niece. Your potential here is to save Israel. If you don't stand up now, then you didn't reach your potential, then you and your parents and everything about you 
is lost. Everything about you is lost. So, listen to this. So when a woman has a baby, and she's carrying a baby, she's carrying crazy potential. Carrying a human being, right? Now, that womb is nurturing and feeding and, and, and defending and protecting that child. Now, all of a sudden, the child leaves the womb. So all this potential just left. So now, there's a void of this potential. And therefore, she becomes Tameh. So by a man, the void of potential is a man, right? And that's only 33 days. But the void of a woman, she's carrying a girl, that girl has the potential to be a nurturer and a creator, to carry another child. So it's double. Because what just, what just left her womb is a creator, is a woman. So therefore it's not 33 days, it's 66 days. Just the opposite of what everybody thinks. It's Chazal. It's not Rabbi Walsh trying to make you feel good here tonight. It's not what I, I am not allowed to change the tell So Chazal says the reason it's 66 and 14 is because the Toma is greater, because the potential is greater. The void of the greater potential, and that's, that's why, the, that's why there's, the, the Toma takes place double by a girl than it does by a boy. It's not even so the potential of a woman is a very, very, very big potential. She she makes a bracha every every single morning. She makes a bracha. She's That's 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 unbelievable. So I want to tell you, and this is what I, I spoke about a whole Shabbos last Shabbos, and probably I don't know for the last four weeks. This is all I'm talking about. And I think it's very important, and I apologize if there's anything I'm going to say that triggers anything, but even if it triggers something, it's going to take you to a very different place. So. I talk about this a lot. Really, we don't have choice in life. Everybody likes to say, I have a hero, I have choice. The truth is, Rosh Hashanah says, we don't really have choice. Because, like, what's the big stuff in life? Big stuff is, were you born a woman or a man? Right? Not your choice. Were you born a lesbian Gairis? Were you born a Jew or not a Jew? Not your choice. Who your parents are? It's a big one, right? Not your choice. Who your siblings are? Not your choice. Pretty much when you go to school as a kid, not your choice. Where you live, right? Growing up, Montana, L.A., New York, where your parents, you know, brought you. Wasn't your choice. So really, in life, what's really your choice? So girls like to say, who I married, that's my choice. Sometimes I get these invitations in the Chiras Libo, right? I chose them. The truth is, not really. Not really, because 40 days before you come to this world, a Bosco goes out and says, this girl to this guy. So why then do we have all this emotions and going out and maybe yes and maybe no and falling in love, all this stuff that we have. Why do we need it for? Hashem said already this one to this one, so what do we need it for? So the answer is a very beautiful, very deep answer, he says. He says, Hashem understands... Now, when it, becomes, when it comes to relationships, you can't have a relationship unless both people have input. So if he's just going to decide who you're going to marry, and there's not going to be any emotional input, so he has this, he, he, that's why the Gemara says, one-third of the day, is he arranges this whole emotional thing, right? Have children, you don't have to have, animals have children, and mosquitoes have children, and fish have children, and chickens have children. You don't have to have emotions I never saw a chicken go to another chicken with a rose and say, will you marry me? 
right? A cat never went down on one paw, like, can you, will you marry me? It doesn't, it doesn't happen, right? So you don't have to have emotions for children. So why do we have emotions? Because both who created emotions so that there's, there's input between the man and the, and, and the wife. Because if he's just going to say get married and there's no input, relationships are built on input from the two, from the, of course, all three. Hashem is one of the three partners. But there have to be other, two other partners. So just announcing it, who, they, who you're going to marry, would not be enough. There has to be some type of interaction between the husband and the wife. But the Misa, they do announce it. They do announce it. So, so what's your Bechira in life, everybody? What's your choice? Vanilla or chocolate? That's how we came to the world. So you really don't have a choice. And I have to tell you that a lot of the trauma that we go through in life, right? Whether the Chashram, it's death, or it's abuse, or whatever it is, most of the time, we didn't choose it. Sometimes we do things that cause things to happen, but 90% of the time, they happen. Not because we chose them, that's for sure. So, so what are we doing here? So if you tell me I don't have any choice, so what am I doing? I might as well have been an apple tree, leave me alone. Right? What do I have to go through all this for? So the answer is, Rav Shimshin Pinker says, that the only choice you have in life is what do you do with the things you have no choice? Accept them and grow, or get depressed and, and walk out? Walk in, the way he says it. You have a choice of walking in, walking out, stepping up, stepping down. That's your only choice. That you are a woman, that you are Jewish, that that is your husband, that those are your parents, that it is your family, that you do live here, that you went through all that stuff. Okay, you went through it, it wasn't your choice. All the stuff's like your choice. So what are you doing with it? You're stepping out, and you're saying, like, that's not fair, I'm done, or you're stepping in. I'll give you an example. I don't have time to tell you my story, but I'll just give you an example of three stories that happened to me just to get an understanding. And again, I apologize if this hurts anyone, what I'm about to tell you. So, I'm, in, I'm, I'm somewhere, I'm going to speak, and this happened a few, two years ago, and I'm speaking, and a woman comes over to me, she says, well, Steve, we never had a, many deaths, parents, young people who passed away, and they have little children, and we need someone to give these kids a chizik. Not just a therapist, we need someone to give them a chizik from the Torah, from different stories, and we know that you're very good at giving chizik. We'd like you in my house, we're going to make a gathering, at, right after school, and we're going to have girls, only girls, six years old to 16 year old who lost a parent. And we want you to give them chizit. I don't know how to say no anyway. And I figured, you know what? I have some good stories about Moshe Rabbeinu. But he went through, adopted, abandoned, he couldn't talk, uh, growing up in public school, growing up in a Paro's house, ending up in Midian, his father-in-law putting him in jail, ending up in the desert. <laughs> All the stuff that Moshe Rabbeinu went through that he did not choose. He didn't choose to be abandoned put in the Nile River. He didn't choose to be to be adopted. He definitely didn't choose to put his hands in the coal. The Malach did that and burn his tongue and he couldn't talk. So Moshe Rabbeinu went through a lot of stuff that he didn't choose. Yosef Atzadik was sold by his brothers, went through Gehenna. He didn't choose that either. David Amalek, anyone tried to kill him, his father-in-law, his sons, the whole world, he didn't choose that either. They're my three champions. And each one got a special last name. They earned it. They used their pain to become Moshe Rabbeinu and Yosef HaTzadik. And that's what I'm my favorite three. They earned it. Was it their choice what they went through? None of them. Rus didn't have a choice what she went through. All the big people, Rivka didn't have a choice what she went through. All the big people in the Torah, Yitzhak was put on the Akedah, Abraham Avinu was thrown into the Kipsha and Aish, go through every one of them. They all had trauma in their lives. The Torah is not... Stories, people think that the Torah is full of stories of good things. It's a, it's a Torah, it's full of trauma. Anything you want, sold by your brothers, 
thrown by your father into a gift of age. I don't think, you know, you may not all get along with our parents, but they never took you through to a gift of age. And your brothers didn't sell you down to the tribe. They did it. And I hope that your father-in-law didn't try to kill you and your own children, right? I mean, Yahu, Shaul, don't know what he went through. So, so the Torah is full of terrible tragedies. Tragedies, really. And Shiduchim, none of them would have made a Shiduch. Imagine Rifti Menu's resume. Father, Yisuel. Brother, Lavan. Right? Where did she go to school? Or maybe Yaakov Avinu, his brother was Esau. Right? Who? Who? Avram Avinu's resume? His father had a, had, a, had, a, had, a, had a movie theater. Right? A house of Avoy Zara. That's where he came from. Uh, whatever. It's a different discussion, this whole resume business. Which you got. Res- resume. Then we, want, then we don't understand why men don't give their wives coverage. What's a resume? Resume means it's a job. Right? When you fill out a resume. So the guy, if the guy, if, if the whole shit is based on a resume, so of course when he gets married, she, she, what do you mean? She has a job. She's married to me. That's her job, you know? Kids today, all they say to me, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm in the middle of writing a whole book on a car so close. You don't have any kids tell me, and I'm like, come on, you got to thank your mother. What do you mean you thank my mother? That's her job. That's my father's job. And that's my teacher's job. And then when you go to a restaurant... And the kids leave their trays and everything all over the place. They're like, that's the Pakistani guy's job. It's everyone's job but theirs. I'm like, one second, if it's a job, how are you paying your mother? If she's working for you, right? And, and that's, so, so that, that's our whole world. The whole world is resumes and jobs, and, and there's a very big lack of our stuff. But in the title, we see all these people that went through something, they became great. Because they had something really great in their backpack. The stuff that they went through. Because we're made out of, you know, the famous saying, the man doesn't make the journey. The journey makes the man. What you go through in life makes you who you are. And trust me, I, I don't have time to tell you, but I wouldn't be standing here talking to you today if I didn't go through what I went through in third grade or in tenth grade or whatever I went through in school. There's no way I would have gone to Chinook. There's no way. But I want to tell you what happened in California. So I come into this. So I'm figuring how many kids are going to be there. How many kids lost their parents, right? I walk into this house. I'm figuring seven to nine. Twenty-seven. Room full. Chairs all around. My wall seems chair in the middle. All these little kids, six years old, nine years old, right? So 15-year-old girls. The room is full. My heart, I managed, I was like, I didn't know what to say. I figured six, seven kids, a whole room full. And there were a couple of kids that lost both parents. So I'm standing there and I'm like, okay. And some of the parents were sitting there too because they're worried about what I might say. And I get up and I give them this whole schmooze about Moshe Rabbeinu and how he suffered and how he went through and look what he did and Hashem explained to him that he's the mate and the sixth power is the hand that holds it and God holds every Jewish person in his hand so you have nothing to worry about. I gave this great speech. Now I know when I'm on and I know when I'm not on and I know I was on. I really let it go for 40 minutes and I gave these kids really, really a lot, a lot of chizit. Okay. I finish. And I'm like, okay girls, any questions? And this little nine-year-old girl stands up. Rabbi Wallerstein, could I ask you a question? Sure, big eyes, like, sure, what could she ask me already? That I'm not going to be able to answer? She says, I'm nine years old. I'm like, what's your name? She tells me her name. I'm like, okay, nine-year-old Miriam, what's your question? She looks at me with these innocent eyes, and she says, Rabbi Wallerstein, when you were nine years old, did you have a mommy? 
I looked at her, and I said, yes. Rabbi Wallerstein, did you have a mommy now, too? I'm like, Baruch Hashem, yes. Oh, I'm like, you don't know my mother, why are you making your face? <laughs> She's a nice lady, come on. She gets up, she's standing up, she turns around, and walks out, walks to the kitchen. Within 10 minutes, there wasn't a kid in that room. Half of them went out the front door, half of them went into the kitchen, half of them went away to talk. My whole shmooz, my whole chizik, went out the door in one second. Because I was not one of them. Because I had a mommy when I was nine years old. And as sick as this might sound, I was sort of hoping when she asked me that question that I didn't have a mommy when I was nine years old. Because if I could have said to her, no, I didn't have a mommy when I was nine years old. She passed away when I was four. Then this girl would have looked at me and said, great, I could also be Rabbi Wallace. But the minute I told her I still have a mother, all those hopes of being Rabbi Wallerstein were dashed because he had a mother. <coughs> I was the wrong guy. I didn't have that in my backpack. Baruch Hashem. I didn't have that in my backpack. So I could not help them. And after all the story, which they know, I was good. I had some other stories. I was really good. They all walked out on me. First time, six, nine-year-old kids walked out on me. Because I had nothing to say. Story number one. Story number two. So, I was asked a few years ago to speak in a rehab. Drug rehab. I was very excited. It might sound very sick, but I never, I never spoke in a drug rehab. And I'm thinking to myself, when I walk out of that rehab, it wasn't a Jewish rehab, but they had a Jewish club. They had six kids in this rehab. Three girls and three boys. There were Jewish kids in the rehab, and they had a Jewish club in the rehab, I guess. Shabbos, maybe a little bit, whatever. It was a, it was a non-Jewish rehab, but I was all excited. First of all, I never went to a rehab. So, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go in there, and these guys, when I get finished with them, Wallstein's going to be their new drug. <laughs> so I had all, these, had all these CDs, and I'm like, every time you want to get high, just listen to one of my CDs. <laughs> this, was, this was my plan. Okay. So I walk into the rehab, and they buzzed me in, and this big Jewish guy came to get me. I'm going to speak to these six kids. That's it. That's what I was hired to do. And this big guy, huge guy, must have been like 300 pounds. He had one of those weird beards like Hell's Angels with like a rubber band in it and a long ponytail. He looked very scary. Right? But nice, big smile. He goes, hi, you're the rabbi that came to speak to us? I'm like, yup. Name's Wallerstein. I was about to say, like, hey. Want to hear one of my CDs? I think, let me, let me, let me, let me talk to them first, right? So we start walking. I see it in my, in my head. We start walking. He turns to me and he says, you know, Rabbi, you're really cool. I'm like, thank you. But I didn't say anything yet. How do you know? He says, well, you don't have a beard. I'm like, okay, some people don't think that's so cool, but okay, fine. No problem. He says, by the way, when were you born? I'm like, I'm in rehab. I don't know if I should give this information out. Uh, why is he asking me this question? No, he says, no, no. Just, when were you born? I'm like, 1957. 1957. Oh, my God! 1957! Now, I know. Nothing happened in 57. <laughs> in 55, the Dodgers beat the Yankees. But in 57, except me being born, 
I don't know about anything, right? I know Kevin didn't get shot. I mean, there was nothing, nothing. He said it was quiet, right? So this guy's all excited. I'm like, what happened in 57? He goes, it's not what happened in 57, man. You were a teenager in the 70s. Oh, man, did they have drugs in the 70s? <laughs> what kind of stuff did you do, Rabbi? Now, we're to rehab, you can tell me. No one's going to know. I'm like, I would tell you, but I have to tell you the truth. I was a hockey player, and my, I always dreamt of being in the NHL. So I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't do drugs, nothing. My life was hockey stitches, hockey stitches. <laughs> it was nothing else. It was, I'm playing hockey. So I didn't do anything in the 70s. I had some friends that did, but I didn't do anything. So I looked up at him, and I'm like, I, I didn't do anything. I, I didn't do anything. He goes, come on. You can tell me a little bit this, that. He starts naming off some stuff, LSD and all that. I knew the song by the Beatles, you know. Lucy in the Sky would die. I knew that song, but, but I, never, I never did any of that stuff. Woke up Calvary, I knew all that stuff, but I never. So I, was, I really let him down. I'm like, man, I, I'm sorry, man. You know, but I, I can go home and do some stuff tonight. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> if you want, you got some extra, you know, whatever. But, but I really didn't do anything. So he looked at me. And he started cursing me. You blank this and that. You think you can come here and talk to us? You don't know our pain, man. You don't know what addiction is. You don't know what detoxing is. You don't know nothing. Get the blank out of here before I read your head. I'm like, out of here like what? <laughs> and I backed out of there. I'm like, uh, he's right. I, I never did any of that stuff. So I went upstairs to the administrator and I'm like, uh, sorry. I am not putting my life like Esther Hamalka on the line here. I'm the wrong guy. I never did drugs. I don't know the pain. I don't know the addiction. I don't know what it means to detox and be shaking while you, while you tie down. I never went through this stuff. I have no right to talk to these, these boys and these girls. I'm out of here. And he's like, no, we set this up. I'm like, I'm not going down there. And I left. And I told him, I have a friend that maybe I can get comfort to it. Now, my friend grew up with me, and he was way past the drug addict. We called him the chemist. Oh Everything and anything went into this guy's body. I'm serious. My, my chemistry set, my mother used to make me lock it in the closet. He would snort up, he would just, anything, whatever it is, flour, baking soda, didn't make a difference. And I, three times he was in a coma. And on those days, with no shockers and none of that drip that they put into the person's art. And he, he, he just, we call, him the, we call him the chemist, we eat the cat. He's got seven lives. He just, they couldn't kill him. He couldn't kill himself. He just wouldn't die. So I figured, you know what? He's the man. Now today he's married and he has Kanina her two kids. He's very wealthy and he's very into his kitsainius, his car and his house and his watch. There's a Rolex that probably would hit the back door over there. It's like a huge watch. And he's very conscious because he wants to show everyone that he's successful when everyone used to not let their kids talk to him or him come to their houses. He was mamish set aside because he was really a terrible drug addict. And in my days growing up, we didn't have many of them. So I called him up. I said, man, I almost got killed the other day. I went to this rehab. The guy wanted to sit on me because I didn't do drugs. I'm like, you're the man. You go there. There's six Jewish kids. You can really help them. And he says to me, Zach, that's my nickname. He says, Zach, I'll do anything for you. But you know, I'm not going to rehab. He 
said, I am clean for a long time, and even my therapist, we made up, no AA, no NA, no rehab, no speeches, no nothing. I have separated myself from drugs, I'm healthy, I will not trigger, I will not go anywhere. I am not doing this for you, the Jews, God, the world, nobody. I'm not doing it. Now, I don't take no for an answer. Some of you know that. So I said, okay, let me try a little woman's trick. It's called guilt. <laughs> so, nothing personal. So, I said to him, listen to me. Why do you think Hashem saved you those three times you were in a coma? You think to get your Mercedes? Or to have a big house? Or to have a, a Rolex? You know why he saved you? He me God from the mouth. I quoted. I quoted with Joel's Esther. He me God from the mouth. Okay, so nice. I said, for this moment, to go into that rehab and help these kids. And if you're not going to do it, you might not wake up tomorrow morning. Because if the whole reason you're in this world is to help those kids, and you're not going to help them, God doesn't need you in this world anymore. That's why he brought you here. So you know what? Your, your kids and your wife and everybody, they may not have you tomorrow morning. You better get to that rehab. He's like, are you threatening me? <laughs> I'm like, yup. You shouldn't be alive. You know that, and I know that. So why do you think I shouldn't brought you back here? Here it is. Here's the moment. Yeah, talk to my wife. Okay. Puts her on the phone. She goes, Brother Lawson, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, listen to me. I saw, those, I saw one of those kids today. I'm telling you, he can save them. If he doesn't step up, I was, I was God forbid something happens. Now you're going to think I cursed him. I said, but, but you got to get back, man. I said, I shouldn't give you your husband. You're a beautiful kid. You gotta get back. If you don't get back, in case because I've made some things today, you might lose everything. I said, I, I, I'm not. I'm not cursing you. I'm just telling you, you gotta get back. Come on, give me a half an hour. Let him just go for a half an hour. She's like, you know what you just did now? If God forbid something happens to him, and I don't let him go, then I'm gonna stop blaming myself. How can you put this in my head? I'm like, I learned it from the best. <laughs> Okay, half an hour. He goes, my friend tells me, the chemist. And this big guy meets him and says, so you're the guy the rabbi said? Rabbi Wallace? He goes, yeah. He said, don't tell me you're a hockey player. He goes, nah. He says, so when were you born? Same time, 57. He says, so were you, did you do anything as a teenager? He says, did I do anything? He says, let me tell you what I did. My Michigan friend Telling, telling, telling this guy what he did. The guy's writing notes like, oh my God, you can do this and that? And that works, right? And he's telling him, he's showing him off. And he's telling him, I did this and I did that. What? You free base this with that? He's like, are you crazy? I did this. And the guy's like, Mashiach showed up in the rehab. It's like, Mashiach showed up in the rehab. And two minutes before they walk into the room, he's going to talk to these kids. He tells this kid, and by the way, I was in a coma three times. Seems to be the ultimate. I don't know why. But... <laughs> what? Three times? Try. The guy, this big guy, runs into the room. Oh my God! Coma! Three times! The chemist is here! He said, You think Colonel Mustafa was saying a label? Well, Mama, the kids were bowing down to him. The guru of drugs was alive. They were bowing down. Five and a half hours, ladies. He spent there five and a half hours. And two of them, two of those boys, work for him today. And it was two months ago that he called me that one of those boys were engaged. He saved their lives. 
When you use your stuff and your pain to save others, that's malchus. And I said to him, if I wouldn't have pushed you, you would have come to Shemayim after 120 years and they would have showed you these kids. And Hashem would have said, I kept you alive for these kids. And you didn't walk into that rehab and those kids relapsed and two of them committed suicide, never had children, never had a life because you, who I saved three times from a coma, who was able to save them, never walked in. I said, you would have seen your potential in this world that you didn't accomplish and you'd keep watching it over and over and that's hell. What is hell? What is Gehenna? Gehenna is to go to the next world and watch your potential and watch the potential that you had in this world and you didn't use it and what you could have done will show you what you could have done. That's Gehenna because you can't get out and you got to keep watching. Keep watching. A person's potential. A person's potential not realized is the greatest tragedy in the world. Now, Baruch Hashem, there are people in this room that didn't go through any trauma. So, Wallace, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? What do I have in my backpack? You have the most precious thing that anyone in this world has. There's one thing, and I talked to my seminary girls about this, my first class, actually. There's one thing in this world that you cannot live without for even a millionth of a second. And I go around the class, and one girl says, water, of course, you can live without water, you can live without food, you can hold your breath for two minutes. You know, one girl said, you can't live without love. I'm like, very romantic, but not true. <laughs> you can't live without God. I'm like, a lot of atheists live without God. But there's one thing, ladies, that you can't live without, and that's time. When your time is up, when there's not one second left, life is over. So the most precious thing that Hashem gives us and everyone in this room is alive, so you've been given it, is time. You can't live one millionth of a second without it, and you all know the famous saying, that is why the present is called the present. That you're in this time, that you're in this second, it's called the present, because that is the greatest present that a person can have, is a moment in time. In a moment in time, you can change the whole world. And therefore, I always tell everybody, parents specifically, and grandparents, that you can read all the books on parenting and marriage all those books they sell in all the Jewish bookstores and all the great writers and you can read all your newspapers and all the stuff who tells you how to have a good marriage and how to have children you can take it all and burn it with the comments because it's worthless unless you're giving that person time if you're giving that person time then all those books can help you without time kids know when they come home and mommy's on the phone with her best friend Sarah and the kid wants to talk to them, no, no, go sit down, go do your homework, go watch Elmo, go watch a show, go watch a movie, just do whatever you want, right? Uh, I, I bought you something new and your clothing's on your bed. It's like, yeah, she don't love me. She loves Sarah. Because Sarah she's giving time to. The way we know that someone loves us is when a person gives another person time. I do a lot of Shalom bias. I have students that are can I know, in their 40s teaching 36 years. And every time I do Shalom Bias, I got two coming tomorrow morning. And I know what's coming. They're not my students, but I know what's coming. Because it's always the same thing. I always let the woman talk first. I'm not stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, so you married 11 years, 12 years, 30 years, three months, doesn't make a difference. What's the problem? You're not coming here to tell me Mazel Tov. Nobody comes to tell me good stuff. What's going on? 
And every woman says the same exact thing. Now, Wallstein, he doesn't love me. And every guy reacts the same way. What? <laughs> what is she talking about? You see? This is the problem. She's always complaining. I'm like, let's find out what she's talking about. Why are you saying your husband doesn't love you? She says, because he doesn't. And then he jumps in. I don't know why guys do this. They're like, what do you mean? I don't love you. I pay the mortgage. I don't know why they say that. <laughs> Some people, they think that's what love is. Right? That means if your mortgage is paid up, we don't love you anymore because you're not paying the mortgage, right? I pay the mortgage. And, and Brad Wallstein, you know, most guys have separate accounts. We have the same account. And, and you know what? I never even look over her, her credit card bills. I mean, come on. What is love? Not looking over my wife's credit card bill. That is love. And every woman never pitifully looks at her husband and says, you're a moron. <laughs> my father paid the mortgage when I lived within his house, and he paid my credit card bills. I didn't marry you for the mortgage. I married you because I wanted to spend time with you. And every guy's like, uh-oh. Because <laughs> the hardest thing to give to another person is the most precious thing that you have, which is time. My time. You're doing this on my time. Very hard to give time to someone else. We can give everything else. Presents, mortgage, prizes, our kids, whatever you want, whatever you want. Time? You want to sit and talk to me? Time for ourselves? To give ourselves time? The hardest thing in the world. By far the hardest thing in the world. But every single person, you shouldn't have to go through any trauma in your life. Every single person in this room has something crazy in their backpack. And that's called time. And the power of that time is amazing, is unbelievable. And this one guy, his wife told him, I just want to spend some time with you. So he looked up at me and said, what should I do? And I'm like, go away with her for three days. Three days. And he goes, Ritufim? Ritufim me together? Or can like, I break it up? <laughs> I'm like, you can't go away for three days? Let me see, it was September. He goes, let me look, let me look at my calendar. You're going to hang with that silly little iPhone thing there that takes away all your time, right? And he's looking through and he's looking through and finally goes, at the end of Svira, somewhere in May, I think I could put three days together. Oh, my God. And I'm like, um, we got a problem right now. She's like, once her time now, not in May. And it's very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard to put three days together. Yeah, because time is precious. Time is the, most, is the most valuable thing in the world. You think the Yitzhara created the cell phone and movies and all these narishkai and all these stupidities? Everyone thinks that it's the Judaism part. I never talk about the Judaism part. Forget about the boys and the pornography and all the other garbage that's on there. Now, forget about that. Do you know why he created it? He created it to destroy all of us. Because it's called killing time. Why is it called killing time? Why killing? Why not wasting? Because if he can take our time away from our, 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 our parents and our, our husbands and children and each other, if he can take away that time, that is the destruction of the world. The world is about time. The other world has no time. Past, present, future is one moment. This world is about time. So what did he do? He created this crazy phone and all this stuff that our, our whole life is looking at that phone, looking at that phone, looking at that phone. The first thing we do, the first thing we do when we get up in the morning is look at that phone. Used to be we used to look at each other. We used to look at our kids. Husband and wife used to look at each other. First thing you do, look at that phone. You went to sleep at three, you got up at six. How many messages do you think you have? What are you thinking, right? Oh my God. And even in the middle of the night, that thing goes off. Do, 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 right? Those iPhones. Right? A whole night beeping. E email. Who's emailing you at four o'clock in the morning? The gap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the 
sale, 4 o'clock in the morning. You got to know about it, right? You're doing it. Go to the Gap at 4.10. You're going to get up, get dressed, go to the Gap. The Gap's not even open. Where are you going? No, we're walking online. You can go to 4 o'clock and shop also. So he is brilliant. We're laughing. We're so sad. I talk to kids. I'm a kids guy. So sad when you talk to kids. So sad. You ask them. She's so mommy on the phone a lot. I ask kids questions. And mommy's always on the phone. And then she tells my sister that she should always get off the phone. I don't know why. She's allowed to always be on the phone. My sister's never allowed to be on the phone. And Wallstein, is that fair? I'm like, I'm not in your house. I'm not making a judgment call. I don't know. They know what's going on. I ask kids, what does your father do for What does your father do? Some kids go, he goes to shul all the time. So I know that this kid, father goes to shul. His kids see that. What does your father do? He talks to his friends all the time. You can mom ask the kids, you can know exactly what his picture of his mother and his father is. It's amazing. Go from first, second grade, it's entertaining, and also you know the truth. You get the truth. They know what's going on. Time is the most precious thing. So the Satan decided to make sure that we all get programs on our phones with unlimited minutes. But our children don't get that program. They don't get unlimited minutes. No, we don't have that program. We have 20 minutes a month. I'm not giving you most time. I'm giving myself most at the same time. Exactly at the same time. We don't, we're the first thing in the morning, I, I remember we used to get in the car, my mother, the first thing she used to turn around, is everybody in their seatbelts. Why aren't you in your seatbelt? Get in your seatbelt. Everyone is now, we get into the car, what's the first thing? Oh my God, I'm tired. Where's my phone? <laughs> and us guys were praying that you have it in the bottom of your pocketbook. Right? Because otherwise we have to go back. Where's my phone? Chaim, I don't know where my phone is. Call it. So we call it always, the guys, right? Or vice versa. Please ring, I don't want to go back into that house. Right? And the phone doesn't ring, and they look at each other. Oh my God, the phone is not in the car. And she's like, okay, you give me your phone, you go into the house, I'll call it, and tell him you hear it ring. Right? He goes chugging into the house, and of course he doesn't hear it now, it's really terrible because they're 10 minutes late, right? They're 10 minutes late to the wedding, wherever they have to go. He gets back in the car, and he's like, Kaya. I don't know what to do. I, I, I went through the whole house and she's like, well, you're not going to leave it, Chaim. Life is over. The world is over. You know what I did? Oh, no, what did you do? I put it on silent! I will find it! A girl in my, a girl in my, not in seminary, but in, in high school the other day, her phone fell in the toilet. Right? That's my wife, like, no, like the marble, and the whole world was destroyed under the water. Right? The phone was finished. Like, she came running out. Rice! Does anybody have rice? I'm like, what are we cooking for lunch? Hello? She's like, no, it wasn't. You don't understand. You don't care because you don't have an iPhone. I have one of these never flip phones, never, whatever it is, right? You don't have, you don't understand. I don't even know who my mother is anymore. I don't know anybody. I lost all my contacts. Am I in this world? Or am I in my own hava? I don't know. I have no phone. You're laughing. This is what he created. He created destruction, 100% destruction of our time. Everybody has that in their backpack. Every person in this room, I just I told the girls in Eula, they said, you don't understand. You don't work with kids. Ladies, let me tell you something. There's nobody in this room that can't tutor a second grader in math or in English. Nobody. Or in Hebrew. Do you know how many kids there are in Queens right now? Little kids, first graders, second graders, who can't read, who can't do math, whose parents can't afford $75 an hour for a tutor. Do you know that kid is failing, and that kid's going to end up in Ehud, and that kid's going to end up in a resource room, and I just had a child 
that was in my office maybe a month ago, and she decided in seventh grade that she's not going back to school anymore. She's done because she's stupid. And I said, what, do you, what, what does that mean? Bring her to me. I'll talk to her. She came to my office in Borough Park, and she just got her report card. She decided she's stupid. She's not going back to school. So she brings me this report card. I promise you, 90 in math, 87 in like social studies. I, I got one ton of my life a 90. My father was so excited. And then I explained to him, no, Tati, you don't understand. It's three tests altogether. Right? Then he wasn't so excited anymore. I'm looking at this kid's report card. This kid got a 90 in math. I don't want to even tell you what I got in math. Right? She got a 90 in math. I'm like, I said to her, what is the problem? And I made fun. I said, I never got a 90 in math. She says, Rebalstein, you, you see what's next to the 90. I'm like, no, what's next to the 90? She goes, the M with the star. I'm like, okay, so I know what that is. I'm a teacher, so it's modified, so you don't, you don't, you don't test well. I said, I didn't test well either. So you have to have someone next to you, right, explaining you the question, but you, you still have to know the answer. I said, it's just modified. There's a lot of kids with, with modified. She goes, I promise you, this is a seventh grader, horrible. This is what she says to me, Rebalstein, you can't fool me. I'm not trying to fool you. What are you talking about? He says, M doesn't mean modified. M means moron. That's what she told me. It's a seventh grader. I said, no, M does not mean moron. It means the teacher's a moron. <laughs> what you put an M there for? It's a modified mark. Does the, does the child know she's modified? Yes. Does the, so, okay, got it. The parent has to know. The parent definitely knows. So who are you putting that on for? Her chassan? For a resume? For who? Just to hurt her? So she should walk around thinking she's a moron? What kind of system do we have? I could not. I spent an hour with this kid. I could not give her the physics that she needed. She's like, I am different. That's so so here we are, everybody in this room, one hour a week. Take a second grader. Take a first grader. One hour a week, go to the school, be back in the Queens, I don't know, whatever, and tell the principal, I'm willing to give you an hour. Give me any girl, first grade, second grade, third grade. I don't, I don't care if you're 80 years old, you can do this. doesn't matter how old you are. And I will teach her for an hour. Do you know, you don't know, do you know what it is for a first grader to have an older person teach them? They walk around, they tell all their friends, you don't have Malky, I have Malky. You're like, who's Malky? It's this, this, this high school girl. Seminary girl comes and teaches me. And then we go out for pizza. This kid is a new kid. She's not depressed. She doesn't have, she doesn't have low self-esteem. You can save her a whole life. That's how she ends up in a psych ward when she's 17 years old. You have a kayak to save this kid. What does it cost you? One hour a week. One hour a week. Or go to a nursing home. Right? Where these people are waiting to die. That's what they're doing. They're waiting to die. They think life is over. You ever see when a young girl comes to a nursing home and she sits there? I had a grandmother that used to be in the Palisades, right? A, 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 a German Jew from Washington. My grandma. I used to go there on Thursdays and these girls from Boyers would come. Are you kidding? These women were doing their hair already on Sunday because Rivka was coming to visit them on Thursday. My Rivka. And then Rivka used to bring them a rose. This woman was like in heaven. She had a whole new life. One hour. Just one hour a week. You're going to come to Shabbat show you all the time you were on that phone. And they're going to say all those hours. Take a look at your phone bill. Take a look at all those hours. All those hours, kids, nursing home, high lifeline. It's a bigger call in Queens. You know what means to walk into a room where a person is laying there day after day? It's a prison, a hospital. 
When someone walks in there and brings them a Danish and sits down for an hour, in Shemayim, I want to tell you something. I'll end with this. Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Lamb from Muncie said this. It is the scariest thing. He quoted Zoya. You know what it says? It says that in the next world, when you, when you hurt somebody emotionally, in the next world, you, there's no body to hide in. So it's an emotional world. The whole next world is the emotional world. They, they take your emotions, your soul, and they put it into that person's pain. And you can actually, now we don't feel another brain. I can see someone's in pain, they're making a bad face, but I, can't, I don't know their pain. When you insult someone, that's fire, that pain, that hurt, they take you and they make you live in it. The Zayar says, that's hell. That's hell, living in someone else's pain. Be careful how you act to other people. He said, what's going to then? When you make someone happy for a moment, that happiness, you can't feel their happiness. They take you to Shama and they let you live in that person's happiness. A little girl that passes the test because you tweeted them, you can't even imagine in the next world what kind of happiness that is. Going to visit someone who's sick, you can't even imagine. The person thinks nobody cares about them and you show up to talk to them. You can't even imagine what that is, living in that person's pleasure and, the, and their good feeling for a moment. And what are we going to say? I was on the phone? I was watching movies? By the way, movies like, it just, is a very big proof to Tchia Samesim, you should know. We're trying to prove Tchia Samesim that there's going to be life after death. Perfect. The movies are a perfect proof. You go to a movie, right, especially a good crier, you bring the box of tissues with you, we're going to go see a crier, right? And you have all these people sitting in the movie, they not the guys, we don't cry. Or I'm going to get a soda, right? But all the ladies are sitting there, oh, they're crying, and they're, they're sobbing, because at the end of the movie, she died. We thought that we were going to die in each other's arms, and he left her, I can't believe it. Everybody's crying away. The whole place is crying. Wasting tears. A Jewish woman's tears can break down every fence and every wall in Shemayim. You're crying over a book. You're crying over a TV show. You're crying over a movie. Those tears go nowhere. There's so many kids that are sick, so many people that are suffering. A Jewish woman's tears breaks down the wall in Shemaya, and we're wasting those tears on a movie. Now the movie's over, and she died. Very sad. Stay half an hour more. She's back up on the screen. She's <laughs> <laughs> amazing! And two weeks later, she's in another movie! The whole thing's a bluff. What are you crying for? You know, she's an actress, she's just on a set. She jumps off the set and goes out and has a tuna fish sandwich while you're sitting there crying that she died. And she didn't die. She did People Magazine next week. Getting the watch for the 12th time. Right? What are you crying for? Wasting time and wasting tears. That's the power of the suffering. That's what he wants to do. Everybody has in their backpack time. Doesn't matter how old you are. Everyone has time. And you must learn the value of time. One second, a person who's brain dead, who's 100 years old, and he's brain dead, and he has great-grandchildren, and he knows shots by heart 10 times, and he gave $20 million for tzedakah. His life is over. He's laying in a hospital. He's brain dead, totally brain dead. But he has accomplished everything in life that a person could possibly want. And there's a 15-year-old boy who just got into a car accident, and they need a pair of lungs to save this boy's life. This boy's 14, he didn't live his life, he has no children, he never got married, he didn't finish shots once, his whole future is ahead of him. If we take this man's lungs, we can save this child. You can't touch his lungs. You can't touch his lungs until he's dead. 
Why? Because in a state of a vegetable, of being brain dead, time is so valuable that we can't even take a second of his time. To save another person's life, we can't take a second of a human being's time. That's how Hashem, how Judaism values time? The man's brain dead. He did everything. I have a 14-year-old kid. His whole life's ahead of him. Too bad. A second of life in that state is worth more than the, than the 14-year-old's potential. That's Judaism. There's no religion that appreciates time more than ours. So how could we waste that beautiful time that we have? as mothers, as grandmothers, as sisters, as teachers, as wives, as husbands, as fathers. That is the most precious time. And that is why I came here to speak tonight. Because that's what Bikr Cholom is all about. And her sister, of anyone that I've ever met, knew that more than anybody else. She was a lawyer, but she knew that time was not precious. Being a lawyer, that's not what life is about. She gave every moment to that community. Every second of her life she used. No better place to talk about time than the Kahol. So, the women of Queens, use your time correctly. It's a very, very special gift that the Kahol gave us. And anything that's in your backpack, whether it's God forbid losing a parent or having parents that were divorced or anything like that, you can use that to help children that went through the same thing that you are going through. I can't. I can help kids that were embarrassed, that went through certain things, because that's what I went through. But I, I can't help kids that went through other things that I didn't go through. But there are people out here that went through other things that can help those kids. And the only way he got to the Malthus girls, the only way to reach Malthus, to become a queen, to reach Malthus Shabamathus, the 49th day of Sphira, is Malthus Shabamathus. The only way he got to the Malthus is Ke'es Hazais. That's the beautiful word. That's how he ends his share. What does he say? This second. Every second a person can reach Malchus. And that's what Mordechai told Esther. You can reach Malchus every second of your life by using it to help others. And thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.